This morning's Old Testament reading is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the 49th chapter. This morning we'll hear read the opening six verses from that book. I invite you once again to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Listen to me, you coasts and islands. Pay heed, you peoples far away. From birth, the Lord called me. He named me from my mother's womb. He made my tongue his sharp sword and concealed me under cover of his hands. He made me a polished arrow and hid me out of sight in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, through whom I shall win glory. So I rose to honor in the Lord's sight, and my God became my strength. Once, I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing, for no purpose. Yet in truth, my cause is with the Lord, and my reward is in God's hands. And now, the Lord who formed me in the womb to be a servant to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel should be gathered to him. Now the Lord calls me again. It is too slight a task for you as my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the descendants of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations, to be my salvation to earth's farthest bounds. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The New Testament reading this morning is from St. Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth in the 15th chapter beginning at verse 50 and continuing through verse 58. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then The saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, Be steadfast, immovable, 
always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. As I look out this morning on those faithful remnant gathered here, I'm willing to bet that many of you are approaching, or maybe you have long since arrived, at a place in your lives when you spend a fair bit of time looking back. We reflect on what has been and on what might have been, and we find ourselves wondering if some or much of our lives were lived wisely, or if some or much of it has been wasted time. Well, there's some comfort, I think, in knowing that this isn't something new. Modern man didn't invent this line of reasoning or inquiry. We're not the first or the only ones to have these thoughts. Our Old Testament reading we heard this morning gives us a glimpse into the mind of someone who lived more than 2,500 years ago, one who shared the same sort of existential examining. In Isaiah chapter 49, the author is writing about an entire race of people, the Israelites, and he's writing about them at a time when they are pondering their past, their, pe their present, and their future. They do so because they're at a crossroads. They're at a point in their history where they're facing a very real challenge to their posterity. Isaiah had been called by God to labor on his behalf, charged with a particular task. He's been at it for a while now, and he doesn't sense that he's been making all that much of a difference. Little, if, if any, noticeable improvement in the situation could be seen. It seems that the nation and her people are nearing their appointed end. Could we be nearing our appointed end? And if so, the question becomes, have we labored in vain? Have we spent our strength for nothing and vanity? I thought that as a people, as a country, on this weekend when we collectively celebrate a national holiday called Labor Day, it was uh, an appropriate opportunity for us to reflect on a nagging question that has long been part of the human condition. And it's also a, a bit ironic that I felt led to do so during a week in which I have admittedly labored less than in any previous week I can remember for quite some time as I spent most of this week a bit under the weather and taking it as easy as I could. But be that as it may, on this Labor Day weekend, as Americans, we are invited to recall and to celebrate by an act of Congress signed into federal law by President Grover Cleveland, who grew up not far from my own hometown, 
The unions and their members that have contributed to the economic prosperity and standard of living which we have come to enjoy and which remains extremely high compared to that of most every other place on earth. It continues to entice millions of immigrants each year. And so on this Labor Day weekend, as Christians, I would suggest that we are invited as well to recall and to celebrate the work of our ancestors as well as that which we are contributing to establishing, to upholding, and to protecting the practice of religious freedom, free from government intrusion as enshrined in the First Amendment to the Constitution. At the same time, though, I invite us to consider our personal vocations and how or whether they have, they do, or they could contribute to something bigger than ourselves. This is an important faith-based question, for we are, or at least we claim to be, a resurrection people. And as those born again, as we like to say, we understand that the life without the saving knowledge of God in Christ that we once had is now gone. And a new, abundant, and eternal life has begun. All parts of our life, of and into the ages, matter insofar as they are being lived, empowered by, and dedicated to the glory of God. Therefore, as Paul would say, beloved, whatever you do, do it with an eye toward eternity. Rebecca, our youngest, spent part of yesterday up at Furnace Town along with Mark Williams doing some hands-on learning about the art of blacksmithing. She's got an interest in history and of the ancient means of labor. She's been watching a, a television series on the subject that features a trio of historians embarking on reenacting life uh, on an English monastery farm during the late Middle Ages. What sixth grader wouldn't be entranced? Well, at least one of the segments featured blacksmiths and the important role they played in the society. And in another piece, the work of masons who did the specialized stone carving necessary for constructing stone walls and chapels. That was highlighted. Even in the more modest places of worship then, We'd find construction was or adorned with artwork. It was more than just functional. It was theological. It was helping to tell the gospel story to a still mostly illiterate populace. Those who were tasked with the cutting and the carving of the rock from the quarry to the workshop, they were following orders and Instructions from a supervisor, a master mason, who oversaw all the material gathering and the preparation right up to and including its final placement in the structure. Now, most of the laborers involved had no idea what these blocks they were fashioning would eventually be used for, but the foreman always did. And when at some point later on, 
the Masons went to that part of the monastery, they could see the previous labors of their hands on display. One part of a mosaic of blocks which together created a whole that was far greater than the sum of its parts. And so it is with the life of those who worship in those sacred structures such tradesmen set to building. The Christian is made generally to honor God. And the Christian is made specifically to do so through a life of doing unique things which are pleasing in God's sight. We are called to be stewards of the earth and all that is in it and to employ our time, our talents, and our treasures in service to God and his kingdom, even if we don't know how it's all going to fit together one day. Sometimes along the way, we choose to stop and reflect on where we're at, on what we've done and what we'd like to do as part of this holy vocation. Other times, perhaps even more often, we are stopped and we are forced with a reckoning. Something has happened and we can't ignore it, nor can we ignore its consequences, which include a coming to terms of whether any of it has mattered. This project at work, this course of study at school, this choice of mate, this professional field of endeavor, this, this whole life even, was there a purpose? For the Christian, I would argue, we are assured indeed there is. I dare say that based on what we know about his life, the Apostle Paul may well have been faced with some of these questions along the way. And yet, by the time he is approaching the end of his life, and he engages in his correspondence with the early followers of Jesus at Corinth, he's come to a stirring conclusion. Even as we are limited to seeing through a dark mirror, what we do in the here and now is indeed made consequential through our covenant partnership with God in Jesus. In his book, Surprised by Hope, one of my favorite contemporary theologians, N.T. Wright, has wonderfully summarized Paul's conclusion as he completes the authoring of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He says, what you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to fall over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something which will become, in due course, part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support 
for one's fellow human beings. Every one of them builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this, he contends, will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation which God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. God's recreation of his wonderful world, which has begun with the resurrection of Jesus and continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ and by the power of his spirit means that what we do in Christ and by the spirit in the present is never wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. So if we believe in the providence of a sovereign God, we ought to be able to believe that he can redeem in one surprising way or another, even that time that we might have thought was wasted. Therefore, my brothers and sisters in Christ, on this Sunday of Labor Day weekend, as you enjoy time with family and with friends, I invite you to take some time in the midst of making and sharing memories, to be reminded and to take comfort in the knowledge that there are no small acts of hospitality, of kindness, of mercy, of forgiveness. There are no worthless gifts of self offered at the altar of holiness. All of it has mattered. All of it does matter and all of it will matter to an eternal God with the power to bring water from a rock, sight from blindness, to redeem life from death. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen. <laughs>